webcast. It's always just a little bit of an awkward moment as I have to share it uh, once it comes live here for me because I want everybody on my page to see it. But today, you guys, I'm telling you, are really privileged. And I don't say this because it's I'm speaking of myself, but I'm telling you, you guys are going to hear a teaching today that probably you've never heard in any church before. I'm telling you, today is going to be one of the most uh, misunderstood, mistaught, because people don't understand, they don't want to talk about it, and it's one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful uh, teachings of the Bible, and that is ruling and reigning with Christ, ruling and reigning with Christ. So I want to make sure I share this. This would be uh, kind of the... Um, the underlying thing that I was talking about yesterday when I was talking about the church being the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Let me just write this out real quick. Let me uh, summarize it here. Learn today about ruling and reigning with Jesus. Oh, I can't get it. To learn today. It's always this awkward moment. Learn today about ruling and reigning with Christ. I don't even have the opportunity to hit all of the things that come along with this. But this this goes into what Jared and I were talking about, what happens at the glorification of the sons and daughters of God. This is a huge subject. As a matter of fact, just to put it in perspective, the first coming of Jesus has 300 verses in the entire Bible that describe what he'll do, where he'll be born. A lot of it, obviously, is prophetic. Uh, you know, then it describes, thank you, uh, what he's going to do, how he's going to die on the cross. So if you, if you just think of, like, Isaiah, just think of the book Isaiah for a minute. What do you, what do you think of when you think of the, the prophecies in the book of Isaiah? Where are you going to go first? Uh, dealing with Jesus' first coming. Where are you going to go first? You're going to go Isaiah 9. Where else are you going to go? Isaiah 53. And let's just hold there on the major ones. Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53. And uh, the, these are portions of Isaiah that talk about the first coming of Jesus. 300 verses total in the Bible talk about the first coming of Jesus. So just give you an example, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. There you go. There's a great verse there. Isaiah 53, very popular. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Very good to use with people who want to have signs and wonders to help them believe. We shouldn't do this to people's... Um, ego, but if they're truly looking for the evidence of the truth of God's word with humility, we can say, read this for me real quick and just hand them your Bible, have them read it and go, who do you think that's talking about? They're going to go, that's ah, talking about Jesus. Go, when do you think this was written? Before or after Jesus was born? And they'll probably say, it was probably written after Jesus. You could say this was written 600 years before Jesus ever lived. If you had them read all of Isaiah 53, it's a great way for them to understand prophecy. Okay, but now just take, for example, other passages in the book of Isaiah dealing with the second coming. 300 verses in the total Bible dealing with the first coming of Jesus. Guess how many deal with the second coming? 300? 600? 1,000? 2,000? 2,400 verses of the Bible 
deal with the second coming, the ruling and reigning of Christ upon the earth. This is the major reason why today there are still Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus because they're saying this portion has not been fulfilled. Lions laying down with lambs, all the Jewish people ruling and reigning upon the earth, Jerusalem having their king, Messiah, sitting upon his throne. Right? Do you guys understand that? And so these are the things that the Christians need to look to. So just take, for example, just if you just look at like Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's going to do all of these things. Then he begins to talk about the comfort and provide for all of those who grieve in Zion. Now this is quoted in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus comes in, and he says, I am that person. And like you'll see mostly in these passages, and I'm just using Isaiah as an example. Isaiah talks very, very... Um, very small about the first coming, but then the passages go on and on and on and on about the second coming. Now remember, the Jewish people saw it only as one thing. The Messiah comes, does all of these things. They didn't see it as two comings. They didn't see that Jesus would come first and then do the rest. So just take, for example, Isaiah 61. Jesus reads this in their presence, uh, Isaiah chapter 61 in Luke 4. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me, right? Now, now where, where, do you, where do you pretty much end this? Well, Maybe around verse 2, verse 3, first coming, right? But let's keep going, and let's see what happens. As you keep going down, the, they will rebuild, starting in verse 4. This is not the first coming anymore. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. Hold on. Did this happen when they were restored from the Babylonian captivity? In the time of Nehemiah, did they restore all of the fortunes? Did they bring back all the glory of these ancient ruins? No. And then it didn't last that long just in living in their land because they didn't have it all to themselves. They had to be, they were an occupied people. So this is talking about the future glory. Just, just get it. Just, just track with me. Everybody look up at me, please. Three verses we could consider happen in the first coming. The whole rest of the chapter is all of the second coming. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd their flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. Now listen, strangers, what does that mean? You're ruling over these people. They're working your flocks. Oh, come on, somebody. You aren't even ready for this. See, this is a misunderstood thing. Now, what's funny is when you talk to the cults, they understand this. You talk to a Jehovah Witness, they understand this. When you talk to the black Hebrew Israelites, they really understand this because the white man is the one working their fields. Y'all ain't ready for this. But this is real. This is happening. So when I was preaching yesterday about the church being the foundation of the truth and that it's going to be the pillar on which God builds his new kingdom on, it's the foundation on which he builds his kingdom on, I'm telling you the truth. If Bill Gates has not been burned up and all the hellfire coming down here under God's judgment, he will be working my field. Now, we will treat them kindly. I'm not talking about antebellum slavery. I'm not talking about whooping Bill Gates in the, in the, the field. I'm just talking about he is going to be happy to be working our fields. He will be working Ashley's fields. If Donald Trump does not get saved, and I don't believe he bears the fruit of salvation, he will be working the field of Ashley. He will be Ashley's shepherd. And we will treat them with kindness and love. But th this is the ruling and reigning of the sons and daughters of God upon the earth. Now, you guys are just with probably the one place on the planet that emphasizes this more than anything else. And I don't know how much they get into while they're with you in the conference. But uh, he is known to be the one that really brings this to the church, that we will rule and reign with Christ the second coming. They are all about this happening. Am I not telling the truth? And uh, I, you can tell me later how much they discuss that when they're there because I know he has one or two sessions in his 
name just slipped my mind. What is it? Mike Bickle, thank you. It's known for this. But very rarely will you ever hear people emphasize this. And, and, that's, and that's a problem. Let me just take a step uh, back here, away from this. Jesus emphasizes. So just take example in, in the, the Beatitudes, that, that famous part of Jesus' ethics. What does he say right at the beginning? I mean, we just miss it, and we just get so spiritual, we miss it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them. So it's like, hey, guys, you're suffering now, but you are going to be ruling and reigning soon. You may be poor now, but you're going to be rich upon this earth. The, the wealth of the wicked is being stored up for the righteous. And so right now the kingdom is coming upon the church, and the church is a suffering bride right now, but she is a conquering bride at the same time. The world is causing her suffering and pain, and the Bible says that that will happen until all of Christ's suffering has been fulfilled. He will suffer with this humanity through the church until it is all fulfilled. And that's why even Paul said, I'm still suffering in the name of Christ until God has suffered with his people and drawn out all of his chosen ones. But if you just look here, this whole entire thing is about it, like the ethics of God are not just be nice for goodness sake. No, it's the, be, blessed are the meek for they will what? Inherit the earth. Be, uh, be the one that God called you to be because there's a reward to be had. And what does he even say, uh, you know, here to the ones that are persecuted? I mean, the ones that are suffering. Like right now in India, they're getting killed. In the Middle East and in China and North Korea, one of the worst regimes that's ever been upon our planet. L look at what it says here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Now watch, because why should we rejoice and be glad? Just because we're suffering, we're suffering for a good cause? No, he even gives you something to look forward to. Because great is your reward in heaven. And that heavenly reward comes to earth. The Bible says all the martyrs get filled up around that throne until he comes down and then they rule and reign with him. And I am telling you guys, we need to understand this. We need to understand this is the goal of the church. This is the end game. This is what's coming down the pipe. This is just temporary. This time here of the shadow lands, of us living in the shadow of death, living in the time of suffering, warring against the devil, this is just the, the, the introduction to what God has coming. The kingdom is coming behind us. Just look at Lord of the Rings. They fight their battles. They do their thing. And then what happens at the end? The king is coronated and the bride along with them rule the kingdom. That is what we're looking forward to. There is a king coming to rule his kingdom. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. They're going to take care of them. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations. I just, I'm, I'm telling you, I got so many mic drop moments here, I might as well just set it down. Because I'm so hype on this right now. This is like blowing my mind. Do you all get this? this? Let me just tell you this. There's been so many false versions of this that you guys hear this and you may get, get into the mindset of it being apocalyptic and it weird and you don't want to believe it because cults have abused it or people have done it wrong. But this is the real blessing of the righteous. This is the reward of the righteous. It's the Muslims that come 600 years later that take this and twist it. 
the jihadi martyr will get 70 virgins in paradise. They will have all that they want to eat. You know, it's like this bribery comes in and, and, and it comes to tempt their flesh to give their life. But my friend, there are rewards. It's just not virgins and this kind of, you know, battle epic mindset so you could go die. You know, that's how you're going to go manipulate a young kid from a village. You, you, you die in the jihad. Your family goes to heaven. It's like the only guarantee that they can go to heaven is if they die in a martyr death. But don't let that discourage you from looking to the glories of God. We are telling our martyrs. I am telling the real martyr, not a battling martyr, but a suffering martyr, there's rewards for you in heaven. You make it to the other side. You will have the fairest of food. You will have the best of age wines and meats. You, will, you know, And it sounds almost like once again, oh, that's a pagan mindset. No, that's the godly mindset. It's the right mindset. That, that's found in Isaiah that we will feast on the finest of foods. It's there for our enjoyment. And the nations will come and serve our God. We'll be their leaders. I'm about ready to get more into that, but you'll be called priests of God, and you will be named the ministers of our God, and you will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. And you just keep reading through it. I just don't have time, but I just wanted to give that as an example that even when you look at the whole Bible, you know, most of it is pointing towards Jesus coming and fulfilling all of his promises and ruling and reigning. 300 first coming, 2400 second coming. And you could just see it when you read through Isaiah here. Few verses, few verses just dealing with that first coming, that, that spiritual restoration uh, and establishing of a new covenant. But then you see these continual chapters like describe the lion laying with the lamb and behold he's doing a new work in the wilderness and rivers coming through the desert. Do you know that that's even being fulfilled just in a little bit. Look up when you have time, Google search, Israel's land development or the Jewish land development in Israel, what they have done to the land of Israel since they've been there. It was never known to be an agricultural place as long as the Muslims and the Palestinians were there and it was occupied land. Since 1946, they have irrigated, they have used wisdom, and now it is a lush place. And this is actually part of the prophecies of what would start to happen as Jesus is coming down, is that Israel would be a lush place and that they would have all of this agriculture and you can see that it's already beginning to happen and it's going to happen more so when God comes and reigns upon this earth. So let's let's just go now. That was the intro to the intro, but let, let's go here to the passage in Timothy. You got to make sure you always do this for me, okay? Thank you. Let's go to, um, well, let's just, let's just look at this picture. Well, let's look at that picture in a minute. I got excited. I accidentally tapped it. We'll go to that in just a minute. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. This is the sermon series for the year. And like always with the Bible college, I want to give you guys extra nuggies. Ruling and reigning with Christ is today's message. 1 Timothy 3, 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions. If I am delayed, that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Where is God's house? The church, thank you, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is what God is establishing truth upon this society to build upon. You want to build a government, build it upon the church and the truth that it has. You want to build a society, build it upon the truth. You want to build uh, in the church. You want to build a family, build it upon the church and the truth that it has. Some people may say, well, I, I know the Bible says that the Word of God is our rock and foundation. Absolutely. I actually quote that here from Matthew, talking about the wise builder and the foolish builder there in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and onward. But where does Jesus give his Word? Where does the Word of God reside? With the church. Who had the Bible wrote down and kept the Word of God safe? The church. 
And we're not talking about the religious church. We're not talking about the false church. We're talking about the true church of Jesus Christ. Who are those that God is with and making disciples through? Disciples don't make themselves. They are made. So who is making disciples? The church. The Bible says, how will they hear unless they are sent with the preacher? Who is the one sending the preachers? The church. Connect, mentor, send. How can they hear unless they are sent? Who is sending the preachers? The church is sending the preachers. What did Christ promise that he would build and the gates of hell would not prevail against it? The church. Did he promise to build this nation? Did he promise to build anything else? No. A corporation? No. He's building the church. Now are you ready for some things about ruling and reigning that will just blow your mind? Things that you read that you skipped over probably because it wasn't time to get into or you might have just been like, whoa, I don't get that. But let me get to, to some more simpler things. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, because I know these have been somewhat like mysteries to me as well. So obviously you, we, we can't um, know them until we grow in them. And so just this will blow your mind. In the middle of Paul talking about how to keep the church in order, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about expelling the immoral brother, judging those within the church, letting God judge those without. Look at what he says they're, they're doing. They're beginning to bring each other to court to make judgments over each other, suing each other. And we know as Christians we shouldn't bring each other to court. What does he say in the middle of this argument as a reason to say you ought not to be bringing your brother to a worldly court? You shouldn't be going to Judge Judy. What is his argument? Look at it in verse 3 here. Look at what it says and just see what his argument is. Do you not know that you or that rather we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? It's like he just throws that right in the middle of there. He's like, don't you know? You shouldn't be doing this to each other. You guys are more than capable to judge each other. You're going to judge angels. And it's just almost like, say what? Paul, hold on. Back up for a minute. Like, I get, like, you know, we're supposed to love each other, treat each other as we want to be treated. You know, don't go to court for those reasons. You just dropped a big old nuggy on us right now and just kept running with the point. Like, before we just talk about this, can you just stop right here and explain to me what this means? We'll be judging angels. Can you, can you draw that out for me? Like, what does that look like? Can we do a play of that? Angel Gabriel, you're next. Let me look at how you did things. I mean, is that what it looks like? Seriously, Michael? Now, now some may say here it's fallen angels. It could be both. It could be the fallen angels. We pronounce the curses upon them. We pronounce the judgment. We pimp slap them into the lake of fire. Could be them. But it's definitely going to be other things as well. Because the idea isn't just pronouncing judgment, like harsh judgment. It's also settling issues. The point here is that they're settling issues between two Christians. We may settle issues between two angels. We may settle issues about angels and their behavior that God was waiting to deal with until this time. I don't know what it looks like. Or it could be we're commanding them in our judgment and telling them how to rule and reign with us upon the earth because there are servants, there are ministers of fire. We're placed above them. I don't know where that goes. I, I don't know. The Bible hasn't gone that deep into it. But I do know we're going to rule and reign with Christ and we'll be judging angels. Let's go to another scripture that will just blow your mind. That's just, you know, it's in Revelation. It's one of those things you, you, you read and you go, okay, I kind of think that's cool. I get a you know, picture of this. But what does it look like? Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. Now, you remember we read this in Isaiah 61 as well. Same thing. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. They will reign on the earth. They will reign on the earth. 
And then when you look like to a version of, of the King James Version here, look at what it says uh, this Revelation passage means. It says, uh, let's go here to King James. It's kind of lagging a little bit. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we will reign on the earth. Mind blown. So it's either, the proper translation is either kingdom of, uh, uh, to be a kingdom and priest, so we are in Christ's kingdom and then we are priests there, or we are kings and priests. That word has been translated differently and it has the possibility of being both. And I'm okay with it being either. It comes from the root word basilalia, uh, where we get the word kingdom from. And so the idea there is, that, that we will be ruling and reigning either as a priesthood class or there will be two classes, kings and priests. Does everybody get that? So it's either the kingdom encompasses the ruling class of priests or the word there is not kingdom, it's kings and priests, so there's two ruling classes. And, and so I, you know, I tend to go uh, more towards the King James, not, not anything to do with, uh, you know, with, with biblical reasons for that, you know, uh, like, uh, I should say, not like grammatical reasons. I just do it for more like um, exegetical reasons. The, the context seems to support this. And then when you look at the, the life of Israel, what did you have? Kings and priests. You had this monarchical class, and then you had this priestly class. So that's kind of the way I see it there. But we, we are not told that much about it. But if you start going through these scriptures where there's a little here, uh, there's a little here, there's, there's a little over here, you can start to put together a quite amazing picture of what God is doing with the church. And so I want you to think about this today. Am I preparing myself for eternity? Am I preparing myself for eternity? Now how do we prepare ourselves for eternity in ruling and reigning with Christ? Do we now rule over others? Do we mistreat them? How I wish you were reigning already. Isn't that a rebuke that Paul says to the Corinthians in another time? How I wish you were reigning. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. So do we have now an attitude of pride with this promise of ruling and reigning with Christ? Look at what these men had begun to do. They began to try to live out the kingdom now before Jesus has come down in a way that was prideful and rebellious. He says, already you have, be, already you have all you want, 1 Corinthians 4, 8. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign in that without us. You see what they did here? They, they forgot that the riches that God was blessing them with were to be dispersed. The Bible says in Timothy, those who are rich in this life, teach them to be rich in giving. It's okay to have riches, but share them and be rich in giving so that you could continue to make a, a, a difference in this world. Yes, there is a Sabbath rest that we have in Christ. We're not working for our salvation. But Jesus also talked about the principle of working while it is day because night comes nobody works. So we are to be giving ourselves, to the, putting our hands to the plow, working in the kingdom. We are not supposed to start laying back, being leisurely, starting to hoard up all of our wealth and just starting to tell people what to do. Sadly, that's what we think about a lot in churches. When, when you think of, let's just say this right now, when you think of the greatest preachers, pastors that you know right now, do you think of them as, as them being great because they're servants? Because they're among the people? 
because they, they are humble? Or do you look at them just because they can speak and be great orators? You see, what's going to be great in the kingdom of God is those who are here on this earth who are humble among the people, servants of all. That's the principle that Jesus is, is teaching us. And Paul rebukes them for doing it the wrong way. And he goes, how I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. Yeah, he's saying, I want to reign with Christ. I'm looking for the day of the stranger taking care of the field. And uh, I get to enjoy the finest of meats and the finest of wines on Mount Zion. And I celebrate in the goodness of the Lord and feast in his presence but that day has not yet come for for it seems to me that God has put us on put us apostles on display at the end of a procession like those condemned to die in the arena and and so what it looks like here is he's making this comparison as they were about ready to start their gladiator games the parade would come through the king you know the king would come through first and all of his officials and, and and then at the end would be those chained up you know and they're just they're just coming along you know like if you've seen gladiator man they're just in a, in a cage or whatever and they're or they're being drug along and he says man that's us because we're suffering for Christ. We're giving our life for Christ. Uh, look quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. But once again, we're, we're, we're building a picture here that uh, teaches us how to behave and prepare ourselves for eternity. And, and yet, it's not wrong to look forward to ruling and reigning with Christ. The persecuted brother or sister is to look forward to it. Right, Jared? So the one in the jail cell isn't supposed to just look at this going, this is the end. My dear friend, the end. You know, this is not like this is a depression time or, or uh, this is the end of the world and we know it and I feel fine. Like it's almost like you don't care. So like one is like I'm depressed. This is the end, you know, like a Jim Morrison door song. And then the other one is like this is the end but I'm crazy and I don't care, you know. This is the end of the world, you know, like um, – REM, thank you. No, no, no. We're supposed to have a balance of what we understand. Yes, there will be suffering here. There will be pain here. There will be persecution here. But there is a joy to come. There's a ruling and reigning to come. Look at this up here. Uh, this would be probably what we would call a song in the early church. It's a trustworthy saying. They learned it, probably committed it to a song, or it's, it's structured somewhat like a creed. The NIV helps you because it, 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 it indents it. It shows you in the, literary, in the literary way that it's a different kind of literary device being used here. It's not just didactic teaching. It's probably, like I said, a creedal statement or a, or a song of some sort. He says, here's a trustworthy saying, starting in verse 11 of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will, dis he will also disown us. If we, are, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Do, do you see how we're supposed to be in this world? We're supposed to understand, yes, there's going to be a time of suffering. Yes, there's a time of enduring, a time of working. But we're supposed to be looking forward to the time of ruling and reigning. We're supposed to say, man, I look forward to that time when we go to Mount Zion, when we feast there. You know, if you look at the Bible, the feast, and I've said it here a few times, the feast of the finest of wines and the, and the richest of food, the Bible says, that is not a bribe because the greatest thing about the kingdom of heaven is that which makes heaven great, and that's God. But I want you to understand that it's drawn out for us, 2,400 verses. And some of them are terrifying, like in the, the book of um, Revelation, these second coming verses that talk about the blood as high as a horse's head. But so many of them talk about the joys and the bliss that's coming to this earth. And it's, and it's more than just a restoration of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve 
really just had dominion over the, uh, the animals in the earth. In this kingdom, we have dominion over the angels and of men. And the Bible says that uh, in, in the, uh, the first creation, there was day and night and all of these things. But after the recreation, there will be no, no more night and only day. And so there will be a better, an upgrade, a double for our trouble, as you could say, you know, after he comes back the second time. And there are some who even believe that if Jesus, uh, if we wouldn't have sinned, Jesus still would have taken us to another level. And there's a lot of mystery in how that would have happened if we wouldn't have sinned, how he would have brought us to this place. But look at Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. And once again, we could, excuse me, we could back up and we could see all of this talking about the second coming, you know, uh, and just looking at chapter uh, 25. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. Praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town, a, a, the town a ruin. Foreigner, uh, a for, the foreigner stronghold, a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. So m many people could point to this city being the Babylon city, the wicked city of old that's always mentioned in the Bible as the, the seat of the Antichrist. And so like in the book of Revelation, it's like, oh, how Babylon has fallen, you great city. And we're rejoicing, thinking about that, Think about that. Everybody's seen New York City, let's say if it was that, or, or Abu Dhabi or something, everybody's seen it fall down and turn to a heap of rubble, and they're going, oh, no, no, it's been destroyed. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's been destroyed. You see, because we're rejoicing in the judgments of God. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. You know, the, this is the song of Moses in the book of Revelation. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. Who shall not fear thee? Who shall not glorify thy name, O Lord? This was an amazing song that the vineyard guys did when I was growing up. Took from the song of Moses that was also repeated in Revelation and made it into a modern day song. But it's like, just and true are your ways, O God. Who shall not fear you? You know, so they're seeing the city go down. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. North Korea will fear the Lord. They will turn towards God, whatever's left of them. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm. Anybody, I'm like in a singing mood today. Anybody hear that Bob Dylan song, Shelter from the Storm? It's an amazing song about how he talks about these people finding shelter from the storm. It's a great concept if you ever want to preach on it. God is a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat. Maybe that speaks to some of you here as well. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners. As heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, as the song of the ruthless is stilled, all the nations are stilled before God. And then now look at verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. They're welcome to come. There is no mistreating of the people in the kingdom of God. God has judged them. The world has come over to his king. The king is now reigning, and now he is celebrating with all people a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Doesn't that sound like what you would see, like I said, at the Lord of the Rings banquet there as the king Aragon has been placed into his rulership? 
It says, on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken in that day. And often you'll hear this being called the day of the Lord. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Who's saying that back to him? The church, the bride of Christ. You even have time for me to start talking about the bride of Christ coming down from heaven. This is the Lord and we trusted him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I mean, just keep going. It just goes on and on and on, chapter after chapter, verse after verse throughout your Bible, ruling and reigning with Christ. There's a city there, isn't there? The New Jerusalem. And it's made of... Uh, the most precious of stones. Now whose names are written on those stones? Revelation 21, 14 tells us who. Do you think discipleship's important? How many think discipleship is important? How many know that for the rest of all of eternity you will be honoring the names of the first disciples? Oh, my friend, sometimes uh, people look at you and probably the same way they look at me and they think we're wasting our time making disciples. Oh, you should be in Silicon Valley making computers and apps because that's really going to make money. Do you think apps and computers are going to be anything in the kingdom of God? Oh, my friend, the most precious thing you can do in this world is make disciples. Well, you should build TV networks and do all these things that Oprah does and Steve Harvey does and Jerry Springer does and Jimmy Kimmel and talk shows and entertainers who play make-believe and dress up and put on makeup. Hello. A lot of times we don't even think about that. They put on makeup. They, they play make-believe. They put on masks. Hello. They put on masks. Avatar puts on a mask. Make-believe. You think that's the most valuable thing? Do you think so, Ulysses? Make believe, movies, apps. How about houses? Let's build houses. Let's build buildings. Let's put our names on those buildings. Now, while we're here, we have dominion over the earth, and we should occupy the earth. And so I pray that all that we do should be done in excellence. As long as you're here, keep building the world to make it a better place. But have this in mind. One day, your buildings will crumble and be destroyed, and the kingdom will be rebuilt his way. And the Bible says the greatest house, uh, the greatest building, Will, uh, the greatest city will be the New Jerusalem, and the wall there, Revelation 21, 14, the wall of that city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Every time you come to that city, are you going to see Trump? Is that name going to be there? Now, I hope his name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you know, but are you going to see that name there? No, every time you come to that wonderful city, the greatest city on the planet Earth, you're going to see Peter. You're going to see John. And it's going to be written probably in Aramaic or Hebrew, right? It's going to be, there is their name. These are the ones who were the foundation. The disciples were the foundation. That sounds familiar, foundation. Disciples, foundation. Where did I hear that? Where did I hear that? First Timothy 3, 14 and 15, if I'm delayed, you ought to know how people conduct themselves in God's household, God's household, similar to the new Jerusalem coming down, God's city, which is the church of the living God, the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. You, you mean in Revelation, the foundation of that city is the church, the first disciples? The ones who Jesus handpicked, who then said, all authority has been given to me, now go and make disciples of all the nations. 
Does a cake make itself? Can a disciple make itself? Who makes disciples? The church. What an amazing thing to think about. Are you preparing yourself for this day? Are you preparing yourself for this kingdom to come? Are, are you ready for the rewards that are going to be divvied out? For these next few moments, let's remind ourselves, for some of you who were here last year, about the parable of the steward and the talents and how the rewards were given out. Does everybody remember that? For those of you who were not here, it was a wonderful series that I went through because I wanted to talk about ministry and stewardship, Matthew uh, 24, 14. And you know that any time you go into Matthew chapter 24, uh, this is 25 rather, but any time you go past Matthew 24, you're getting into the apocalyptic end time teachings of Jesus, starting with chapter 4 and onward. This is all about the end times. And this is telling you what it's like on judgment day, when you are now judged. Salvation is not a reward. What is salvation? A gift. Charis, given by grace. Kera, the gift given by grace. Charisma, the gifts of the Spirit come by grace. Right? All of these charis words, kara words, right? Grace, gift, that's what they are. Salvation, gift by grace. What is reward? Your judgment of the works that you've done. What, it, what is the shame you face? Even Christians will face shame on judgment day when they watch their works burned up, as Paul says, right? You may get in by the skin of your teeth, the Bible says, and your rewards will be burned up. Paul had this in mind as well. I am ready for the, the crown laid up for me. And then when Jesus talked to his church he, in, in Revelation, this is a very important un concept that carries on throughout the whole Bible. When Jesus is talking in Revelation to his church, he says, let no one steal your crown let no one take your reward from you don't let these these uh these hypocrites these heretics take your reward no stand true and so we don't have time to read through this but we see again it will be like a man going on a journey but what is he referring to there when it says again go up a little bit and you'll see the parable of the virgins starts off that chapter in chapter 25 verse 1 at that time the kingdom of the kingdom of and will be like, and he tells this story. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, interchangeable terms. Where does God live? In heaven. That's why it's interchangeable. Out of, oftentimes, out of respect for the name of God, they would use heaven in replace of his proper name. Same exact place. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Now he tells the story about the virgins. What is that teaching us about the kingdom of heaven? You better be ready. Prepare yourself. What is the oil? The oil is your love and your passion for God. Don't let it grow dim. Don't let it go out. Don't let your first love die out. Last verse of Ephesians says, Blessed are those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That's the last verse of Ephesians. What is the rebuke that Jesus gives the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation? You've left your first love. That's another sermon for you guys right there. First love. He says right at the end of Ephesians, Paul does, don't you ever lose your first love. And by the time of Jesus, Paul's already been beheaded by Nero. By that time, Jesus is rebuking that church going, you guys have lost it. You've lost it. And here's Jesus telling us in a parabolic form, don't lose it. Because you can't get the oil from somebody else. You can't get it from somebody else. That's, that's you know, Jesus is not teaching this as a, you know, the virgins who have the oil don't share and they're bad virgins, like, because that would be kind of like the opposite of the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan shares what he has. If you don't know the parable, here it is real quick. 
Ten virgins are waiting for the bridal party to come. Five have enough oil to keep it going, to keep their lamps burning as the, bride, the bridal party comes. It's kind of like their tradition, like how we throw rice and all that. They're going to light the way. And so they run out of oil, and they ask the others for the oil, and they can't give it to them. They say, you have to go get your own. Once again, this is not something to say don't share with people. The idea is here, you have to have your own oil, right? Now, it's the same thing here. It's the same thing when you get to that uh, part of the parable of the bags of gold or the talents. And I love saying bags of gold more than talents because who today in the 21st century knows what that term talent means? How many understand what a bag of gold is? Right? So this man goes on a journey. It's like this is what the kingdom of God is like, he says. This is, again, what it's like. The man goes on a journey, gives out these bags of gold to his people according to their ability, and then he comes back and checks on them. And those who have worked hard, those who have multiplied the bags of gold into more bags of gold, how many remember Scrooge McDuck in the show? Like he would, he would, he would swim in his bags of gold. Isn't that the right show? Yeah, you yeah, ducktails, and he would swim. And how many of you as a kid, if you ever saw you wanted to have that, right? Just, I want the bags of gold, you know? Well, that's what the Bible says. That's stored up for us. We will boast in the wealth of the nations given to us. But it's not the love of money. It's the love of the kingdom. It belongs to God. Always did. Now it's ours. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Gates, I need you over here to fix my Wi-Fi. It's not working. Steve, Steve, Mr. Jobs, you know, come on over here. I need you to fix my computer for me. Oh, Donald Trump, I, Donald, you, you forgot to trim the bush this way. Please, come, come fix the bush, my landscaper. I'm being honest with you. You could take this to the point where you try to rule now, you will miss the kingdom perspective of this. You're supposed to be a servant now working hard for the Lord. But remember this, the wicked will serve in your garden. The wicked will serve in your field. The wicked will clean your house. You will own this land. This belongs to the Lord and his church. Now, once again, does that make us walk around as pompous peacocks, tell everybody that we're going to rule over them? No, because we're the suffering lambs right now. We're the lambs led to slaughter. We're, we're, we're the harmless doves. We are not trying to forcefully take over nations. We want to see nations submit willingly to Jesus. We are not trying to create jihad upon this world. We, we are not here to try to establish our own kingdoms. We are here to work and to serve as best as we can while it is day, all for the glory of God until he comes and then he establishes his kingdom. And so what is your life going to be like that day? Because there's an interesting fellow that shows up here, right? He's the one that received that one bag of gold. And look at what it says. The one that had the one bag of gold in verse 24. He says, I knew you were a hard man. You know, investing where you had not sown and gathering, or harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, went out, hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And, and, the, and the real easy correspondence is, is here is the most valuable thing is souls. What can man give in exchange for a soul, right? So God give us, gives us the ability to win souls. We're supposed to go out and multiply those, uh, those souls for his kingdom. And so here's a man basically saying, I just have my soul. I just have what I got. I haven't done anything because I know that, you know, uh, you did a lot to make me who I am. And I don't want to go to hell and have you lose me. And I'll just stay safe and I'll make sure I go to heaven. I'll go be a monk somewhere. I'll go live up and hide, hide somewhere in Hawaii on a beach. And, and here's what the man says to him. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put your money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. You see how quickly this changes real quick from socialism to capitalism? 
It is not now. Let's just evenly distribute everything. It's okay. You did your best. No, it's like you get nothing now. I take what you have, and I give it to the guy who's balling. I give it to the baller. There will be ballers in the kingdom. They will be the most meekest, humble ballers you have ever met. But they will be, they will be ballers. I, I think of people like Rosa in our church, a deacon who serves the Lord with all of her might, being faithful, as the Bible says about these women in the house of God, being a mother to many, spiritually caring for the hurting and the broken, serving the Lord. She will be one of those that gets these bags of goals from these pastors who just wanted to hide behind their pulpits all the time because they didn't want to offend anybody. Their bag of gold will be taken from them and given right to her. And then she'll say, but you can clean my house. You can still clean my house, Joel Osteen. You can still come and clean. You know, because unless Joel Osteen is bold enough to preach the full gospel, which is heaven and hell, sin and righteousness, judgment and reward, unless he's willing to do all those things, what little he has will be burned up and taken and given to somebody else if he makes it in. And let's just hope he does make it in. Let's believe that he has a genuine faith. But I cannot believe his works will be going in because they're opposite of the works of Christ. Jesus did not act like that. Jesus was bold and forthright. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And this man has denied it on Larry King that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you guys listening? And I don't say that to be mean. I name him just like Paul named Hymenius and Alexander and Demas. He said, Demas forsook me. You know, people are forsaking the call of the gospel right now for, for, for temporary prosperity. And people may look at us like we're fools. Not only worldly people, but Christian people may say, man, you could build this church so much better. You could build it so much faster. Yeah, but... I'll, I'll ruin the testimony of Christ. I will ruin their faith because they won't truly have what they need to be, believe and be saved. And then I will lose my reward in heaven. But if I'm faithful here with little, I'll be faithful much there. Haven't you heard a story like that before? That those who are faithful with little are going to be faithful with much? So this one is thrown out into the fires of hell. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I would not be a, a good pastor unless I told you about this. So let's, do, let's have some takeaways here. This, this was the only notes I had today, the only notes, okay? So let's get some takeaways. The first thing that we need to understand is that we are going to rule and reign with Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing that we need to understand is that we need to prepare ourselves for that day by suffering for Christ, working for Christ, and serving Christ. Serving the church that he's put us in. And lastly, we need to be in the church building the church, for this is the representation of the kingdom of God now. And we will not be good to this world if we water down or take away our responsibility or, or set aside our responsibility to truly be the disciples that God called us to be. Those are the three points we should take away from this, is that we will reign, rule and reign with Christ, that we should suffer, serve, and what's the other one? Suffer, serve, and work, thank you. Suffer for Christ, serve others, work in the church, you could say it like that. And then lastly, we need to be, be in this church, the big C church, and wherever local church God has called us to be, to, to, to do our duties so that we can see this world changed. While we're here, we'll see, we'll see inventors coming in out of our doors. We'll see governors coming in out, kings, uh, you know, mayors, whatever, businessmen. We will teach them the ways of God. You are called to be in that fivefold ministry, aren't you? 
So you are called to be a foundation of this church. Just like New Jerusalem, the foundation is of Jesus' disciples, that tradition is still going on. In this local church, in this local church, you as SUM students are called to be that foundation. Work hard. Serve hard. Suffer long. Think of that word, long-suffering. What do we want? Short-suffering. Lord, just give me short-suffering. Where's the, where's the gift of the, the fruit of the Spirit? Short-suffering. That's the one I want. But no, we need to pray for long-suffering. Lord, help me to suffer long. Help me to suffer long, Lord. Help me to endure these things so that I can reign with you. And in the midst of our persecution, in the midst of when people do put us down, let us look to the future reward. Let us look to those times when Jesus will be revealed and they will be put to shame. Look at 1 Peter. I love how he comforts them in the time of suffering. Look at what he says to them. Here is going to happen about when they come uh, and they get to see. Everybody will see him. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Starting verse 8, rather. Well, let's go to verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. These have come so that, the prove, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What has come, these trials, these griefs have come upon you so that there can be greater glory, glory when Christ is revealed. Keep going. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls how many are excited about that amen now watch this right here as it talks about um i know i believe it's going to be now second peter continue the same thought because in both peters he starts off talking about suffering now take that and go to second peter and watch what he says here about their suffering let me get it all right here second peter Watch what he says about what happens when, when Jesus comes and what the people around them see. All these things have happened. His goodness is perseverance. Therefore, my brothers, you know this. The intent of this body be clear. Here we go. We also have the prophetic message, false teachers. I did not spare angels. Or, yeah, you know, it's a little bit further down. The day of the Lord. Here we go. The day of the Lord. Now, don't forget this, the day of the Lord. Oh, the day of the Lord is awesome. Peace. Oh. oh, man. Let me find it real quick for you in closing. Oh. We'll see the glory. It might be First Peter, and I just missed it. Oh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Sorry, guys, it was. So this thought, the day of the Lord in 2 Peter is amazing as well. But uh, here he continues that thought of suffering into, into the end of 1 Peter. And look at what he says. And the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You will suffer for a little while, but you will be filled with eternal glory. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. Joby, you can uh, shut it off after my prayer. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. 
We know we will rule and reign with you if we're faithful to the end, if we're willing to suffer and go through these hardships. So, God, you will bless us with your eternal glory. May we always look to the hope that is to come and pray for your kingdom to come on earth even now as it is in heaven. Encourage all of us here not to give up, not to 